Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'm Cleo the Whip Lady. <laughs> and welcome to part two of our Oscars series. That's right. Covering the 1973 Oscars 50 years ago. In part one, we touched on The Godfather, one of the greatest films of all time, that won Best Picture that year. And today we're covering Cabaret. Which f- is also a movie that exists. Yes, a film that won eight oscars that year which was uh some of the most oscars ever won up until that point and it's still the movie with the most oscars without winning big best picture big really picture. <laughs> huh yeah it's a really interesting film to discuss and to discuss alongside the godfather but before we get into the film itself i do have a couple of show notes that i want to mention quickly about the godfather because we can't just stop talking about The Godfather. Yeah, I guess not. This is The Godfather podcast now. Yeah. Uh, so two things. The first is I watched The Godfather Part 2 last week. Uh, this is my second watch of the film ever. And it's a really, really good film. It's much darker than the first film. And so I don't know if I appreciated it as much at the time. And I'm still kind of... It's still kind of occupying some space in my mind right now and i'm still kind of chewing over all of the details of it. it's a very very complicated film that's a good that's a good sign though if you're chewing over it right yeah i mean you and i saw the new avatar together in december and then we immediately both forgot about it yeah (laughs) every time you say it i'm like oh yeah we watched the the avatar part two (laughs) the second thing i wanted to quickly say is i also started watching the offer last week which is the tv miniseries that i mentioned in our previous episode as well that's the miniseries based on Albert S. S. Ruddy, the producer of The Godfather, his experience trying to get The Godfather made. Right. It's not a documentary. It's like a no. It's, it's like a docudrama, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, it's on Paramount Plus. I gotta say, like, it. If you really enjoyed our Godfather episode, then you should really do yourself a favor and check that out because it. Pretty much a lot of what we discussed, they portray in the miniseries and it's fantastic like it's a it's it's such a compelling story of how it got made and how it almost didn't get made and like the involvement of the mob and everything yeah Um, there's some really great performances in it especially matthew good as the uh kind of sleazy movie executive at paramount plus or sorry not you know what i'll just say this matthew good he's great at sleaze yeah you know what i mean i think i've only really seen him in watchmen and um the Benedict Cumberbatch numbers game yeah. thing movie. I can't remember what it was called, but he's always good at playing like sleaze. Yeah. I don't know what it is. But, I, uh, and his performance, like he's good. He puts on this accent that's impossible to pinpoint where it's from, but okay. it's, it's a really good role. And, and I would recommend it for that reason. It's also like really cool because it kind of shows you the background of Hollywood in the seventies uh, in the early seventies as this movie's getting made. And it shows kind of like the behind the scenes look of making a movie and kind of everything that happens in it. Also there's a, there's a really fun performance with an actor portraying Frank Sinatra because of uh, right. the drama involved with Frank Sinatra. You mean and, not Johnny Fontaine? And being not yeah. Johnny Fontaine. So Jeez. that also is quite entertaining in the film and how he's connected. And obviously, like, we don't know for sure, like, if he got connected with the mob afterwards, but there's some, like, you know, Frank Sinatra wants this movie kiboshed, so we're also going to do him a favor and, and try to get this movie kiboshed as well. Man, you know, I who was I talking to about this recently? I was talking to someone about this recently about how, like, you know, you never want to be an asshole, but, like, 
sometimes it's beneficial to be friends with assholes. Yeah. To have an asshole on your side. <laughs> Um, actually, on that note... So um, I've made all these friends all these years. Yeah, is that why you've kept me around for 30 <laughs> years? But uh, I did a little bit of further reading on The Godfather myself, and the one thing that I found really interesting about it was how nobody expected it to be a masterpiece. Right. Like, Mario Puzo just wrote it because he was in debt and he really needed the money. Francis Ford Coppola just needed money for his new studio. Like, Yeah, and because he was in debt... Yeah, everybody was, this movie was fueled by debt. So, <laughs> and I guess like the producers hated it and they kept threatening to fire Francis Ford Coppola. Right. So like he had to take sedatives at night because he was so stressed out he couldn't sleep. And like none of the actors had a good time shooting it. Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting because like I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast that I do have my own little creative projects. And like sometimes you do something and you're like, wow, this sucks. And then you show it to people and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And you're like, really? <laughs> and then other times you're like, hey, like check this out. It's amazing. And people are like, yeah, whatever. So it's just, it's astonishing and kind of funny to me that like, you know, nobody really wanted to make this movie, but right. it turned out to be like, imagine working on something, thinking it's hot garbage, just doing it because you're in debt. And then you wake up one day and suddenly like, you know, it turns out you've invented the best things that sliced bread. Yeah, and then yeah. that's what you're known for for the rest of your life. Yeah, basically. Slice bread. That thing you hated. Like, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think Mario Puzo, like, I guess he wrote some, like, literary novel kind of that was sort of based on his mom before The Godfather, and it didn't do well. Nobody really liked it. And then he did The Godfather, and it blew up. And I guess, I think I read somewhere that towards the end of his life, he regretted that that other novel didn't take off but right the godfather did yeah it and you know what it even explores that a little bit in the offer so i would recommend that show to you i guess at this point because it sounds good it's it's worth a watch if you're a fan of the godfather and i'm sure most of you are it's 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 good it's it's a very cool retelling of of how this movie got made right but anyway we should move on to another movie that we're actually talking about today called Cabaret, Cabaret which also yeah. came out in 1972 uh do you want to take away with plot uh, yeah, sure. So, Sally Bowles is a cabaret singer in Berlin in 1931, when no major social upheavals were happening around her. <laughs> <laughs> and she's your classic manic pixie dream girl. She's loud, she's boisterous, she loves smoking and drinking and dancing and sex. And Brian Roberts, a PhD student from Britain, just so happens to come knocking one day looking for lodging and they strike up an unlikely friendship and maybe romance <laughs> down the line. Question mark. Question mark, Mark, Mark. And anyways, things kind of springboard from there. What's interesting about this movie is that it is a musical, but it's unconventional in that it's all diegetic. Like yeah. the characters don't randomly like break, break out into song. Yeah, the fourth wall is pretty firmly it's pretty firmly fortified. So yeah. Mm. All the musical numbers take place on stage as we're watching them. Yeah, and they all kind of allude to what's going to happen next to the characters yeah in kind of a vague sort of foreshadowy kind of way yeah it's really cool it's it's one of like the highlights of the film for me personally is kind of how 
each musical number leads into what where we're going to follow the characters next. It's almost like each musical number is like an epigraph to like a new chapter. Mm-hmm. You did a good job of summarizing the opening of the plot. There's a lot of Thanks, different buddy. themes kind of moving in and out of the plot. Like there's a very queer element. And this is probably our most queer friendly film that we've done so far. There's the elements of like this kind of boiling to the surface Nazi movement starting to happen in Germany at this time. You know what it kind of reminded me of just now as I'm thinking about it? It's like Jesus and uh, Ben-Hur. Yeah. Kind of just in the background building. Yeah. It's not really, it's sort of just like this, it's this looming lingering threat that's almost always just out of sight. Because Jesus was such a looming lingering <laughs> threat the, the metaphor time. broke down a little, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I get what you mean. I like the, I actually do like the comparison there um, because I think- and I want to discuss this more when we get into spoilers, but there's a good question of like, what is this movie really about? Is it about the like the relationships? Is it about Sally Bowles? Is it about the rise of fascism in Nazi Germany? I liked that this is such a this is a very queer movie, especially for the time. Mm-hmm. It has all these queer themes. But then there's also, you know, fascism bubbling to the surface right. at the same time. Yeah. Which is historically not been kind to non-heteronormative things yeah like anything that really is against the norm yeah <laughs> or basically less. so and and that really yeah that really paints the the relationship aspect of the film in a very interesting light because it there, it's a very this is a high contrast film yeah that's a good way of putting it but anyway actually before i get into characters and people you may know i did want to mention for people who maybe aren't as into the know of musicals or what a cabaret is um i had to google this myself but a cabaret is a live entertainment consisting of dancing singing or comedy acts that are performed in the evening usually at a restaurant or a nightclub and in this case it's at a german nightclub it's kind of almost feels like a basement or like a you know almost like an underground scene kind of place it feels very uh yeah underground is a good word for it like it feels very transgressive or like almost yeah like almost kind of hidden yeah it's cool it is cool characters of people you may know so sally bowles is kind of our our central character with which all plot points really pivot around yeah and you described her really well and i think at one point the film describes her as an endearing child and as i was trying to kind of put my thumb on what i would describe her as and as soon as somebody said that in the film i was like that is exactly it what she is portraying she's a very interesting character because you know there isn't a lot of consequence to her like she's just she just kind of goes through life doing whatever she wants uh and and having fun and and kind of acting out and and you know, just having a good time and and not really caring too much about consequences. Yeah. And there's also kind of, there's depth to her, but there's also lack of depth. I found very intentional and I appreciate it a little bit. Yeah. And so the actor playing Sally Bowles is Liza Minnelli, a very, very influential actor of the 70s and 80s, who actually happens to also be Judy Garland's daughter, one of the most famous actors of all time, playing Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Um, really? Yeah. Huh. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, I knew that connection. And Congratulations, Liza Minnelli. So Liza Minnelli is, like I said, she's very culturally significant. She was an actress, singer, dancer, choreographer. Uh, so she is also kind of known for the song New York, New York from the film New York, New York. 
uh, which is a Martin Scorsese musical. Martin Scorsese did a musical. Yeah, with uh, <laughs> Robert De Niro uh, alongside Liza Minnelli. Um, I can feel brain cells dying. I had no <laughs> idea those guys did musicals. Yeah. I um, guess we should talk about this a little later, but I guess this is kind of coming at the tail end of the Hollywood musical, right? Maybe maybe not the tail end. Maybe a little bit later. Was it like the fifties that there were all these like musicals yeah, blown was, up? Yeah, maybe there was some then. I don't I don't know if I know enough about uh, musical history to, to say one way or another. To be okay, honest. then maybe we should save this for another day. But yeah, so she like all of those songs. Like maybe this time she's very well known for. Um, she's considered to be a gay icon, and a large part of that is because of this film. Um, even though she herself isn't queer in the film. She starred in the film Arthur, which is a very famous ro- uh, romantic comedy. But modern audiences, where you're going to know her from, is Arrested Development. Yes, I was waiting for you to bring that up. Yes, where she plays Lucille Ostero, the neighbor of Lucille, the, was it... the patriarch of the family. Right, the matriarch, matriarch of, the, of the, family. the family. Yes, sorry. She has a very ill-fated romance with Buster. Yes. And I think maybe Michael later on, too. Yeah, it's been a while since I watched that show. Yeah, spoilers. But, but uh, that's that's what I know her from because that came out at a very influential time in my TV and movie watching. I was I would if you hadn't brought it up, I would have brought it up because yeah. I feel like that's for people our age. That's probably our best point of comparison yeah. or where we would most know her from. Yeah, absolutely. And and she kills it. Like this is a really good role for her. I, and I, you know what? I actually don't want to talk about this too too much because I, I want to talk about this in my analysis. But I think she does a really great job with the her performance in this film. Yeah, no, I, we should talk, we'll talk about this more later, but like I was watching this movie today. I watched it today because yep. I left it to the last minute because <laughs> I'm a shitty friend and course I'm a shitty friend and a worse correspondent. But anyways, um, I was watching the movie today and I was like, I don't know if I like this character or not. I'm so ambivalent towards her. I am very much on the same page with you there. And let's talk about it later in spoilers. So, our next character is Brian Roberts, the... How did you describe him again? He's a PhD student from jolly old England. Yes. So he's just arrived in Berlin at this time. He finds uh, some lodging where Sally Bowles is staying. And he is like a painfully shy guy. He's he's a great contrast to Sally because he's so British, yes. for lack of a better <laughs> term. like He's just very like... Very buttoned up, very prim, very proper, mm-hmm. very quiet. Yeah, reserved. Yeah, not super sexually experienced, as we find out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And he's played by Michael York. Did you recognize him when you first saw this film? Because I instantly recognized him. No. So, Modern Audiences. This is where I recognized him from. He is Basil Exposition and Austin Powers. Don't be mad. I've never seen Austin Powers. How have you never seen an Austin I Powers I just had this movie? conversation with my roommate. I've never seen Austin Powers. Oh, man. He's he's a very relevant character to those films, and anyone who listening who knows who that is is going to laugh out loud when they when they put that together. But yes, this is the actor who's playing it. Um, he also stars in Logan's Run, which is one of the few very influential sci-fi films that I've never seen. Um, That's also a British movie, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, maybe... Maybe. He's uh, stars in Three Musketeers as well as Murder on the Orient Express, which is a very, very famous film, uh, which ha- recently had a shitty sequel. Or not oh, a good. shitty sequel, a shitty remake. He has a very distinct British voice. Yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, 
I feel like he's probably done some voice acting work. He's done right? a lot of voice acting work, yeah. especially in the late '90s, early 2000s, is where you've heard of him. Like he was on a few episodes of Simpsons, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, however, other than like Austin Powers, there's not a lot of modern stuff he's been in especially in the last 10 years because unfortunately he's had some health issues in recent years so he hasn't really been involved in that much but uh if you've seen austin powers you know exactly who i'm talking about with basil exposition um you know what i couldn't stop thinking when i was looking at him what i was like is this chris prine did chris pine go back in chris time prine? <laughs> chris prime chris prime chris to miss prime yeah chris pine <laughs> chris pine you know from wonder woman i was just like did this motherfucker travel back in time so he could star in this movie? I can barely see the resemblance, but I'll give you half a point for that one. I Half a point, Hufflepuff. I deserve it. <laughs> I just had a conversation with... I had a conversation at a party on Friday. Huh? What is Hufflepuff? I've never read Harry Potter. I know... Sli- okay, I know Gryffindor's brave. Slytherin is ambitious. Ravenclaw's smart. What's Hufflepuff's deal? Are they just um, kind of the normal people? It's based on... The Big Bad Wolf, where he says, I'll huffle and I'll puffle and I'll blow your house down. No, I'm, I'm just trying to mess with people and get people mad. I couldn't tell you, honestly. Okay. They're probably the most awkward house out of all the houses. So we'd be Hufflepuffs. I don't know. I'm probably a Slytherin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Ravenclaw on a good day, yeah. but a Hufflepuff most maybe, other I'm, days. Maybe you could be, I could be qualified as a Ravenclaw, but I'm probably one of those two. Anyways, anyway. now back to VCR. Yeah. Regularly scheduled programming. So our next character, who's, it's hard to call him a character. I mean, he really is a character, but the master of ceremonies or the MC who is in all of the musical numbers. When I saw that he was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie, I was kind of like, really? Yeah. Like, it's not that he did a bad job. It's just, you're right. He's barely a character. He's like more like a natural force throughout the film. I'd almost see him more as like a, almost like some kind of like supernatural guide. I'm picturing like Charon from Greek mythology, who's like guides the dead across the river. Right. Just Or like Virgil in uh, Dante's Inferno, where it's just like, and now this, like, right. look at this. So I came it, up with some- It's a very, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible performance, but it's really hard to like say that he's a character within the film. Because he's just a drive, more of like a driving force. Well, we don't really. He's just every time we see him, he's performing. Yeah. We don't really get any interiority from him. Right. Granted, he's a great performer. Like the actor, what was his name? Like Joel Gray. Joel Gray. Yeah, he's fantastic. And so Joel Gray, he's actually reprising his role from the original musical of Cabaret. Good for him. He was a very prominent theater actor of the '60s and '70s. And he actually, of recent, uh, has a reoccurring role on the 2022 FX show called The Old Man, which stars Jeff Bridges. Oh, really? Um, it's a drama thriller, and it sounds really cool, actually. I'm going to check it out after Jess and I wrap up the offer, I think. Hmm. But anyway, he also recently had a cameo in the movie Tick, Tick, Boom with... Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, yes. So he's you'll probably, you've seen him in that of recent... Um, also, a little fun fact, he's Jennifer Grey's dad, so the actor from Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Dirty Dancing. Wow. A lot of a familial relation. A lot of nepotism in Hollywood. A lot of nepotism in Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> By the way, um, when you get married, I'm gonna. that's how I'm going to dress when I MC your wedding, is a white powder, like the full suit and everything. Money makes the world go round, <laughs> yeah. the world go round. <laughs> Until you have to like escort me off the premises. <laughs> So we have a couple other characters. 
that I just want to quickly mention, and this is almost something that we we skipped over in the plot because it's a little bit of a side plot detail. It's, it's there's a, two other kind it's a of B plot. Yeah, there's two kind of actors circling around this B plot. There's Fritz Wendel, who's a German ladies man. Yeah, or no, he's not from Germany. Is he for, is he Austrian? I can't remember exactly where he's from. Uh, but he's also somebody who's kind of come to Berlin at this very interesting moment in time. Yeah. Um, he's trying to learn English because that's how Brian's supporting himself in Berlin is teaching people English. And he falls in love with a wealthy Jewish woman named Natalia Launder. How do I? Yeah. It starts with an L. Land Landor. Landor. Something like Laundry. That. I, yeah, yeah. I can't pronounce her name. Um, <laughs> We're and, doing our best. Yeah. So she, th- those two are uh, kind of the the side plot of of will they won't they? They're both kind of part of the Brian Berlin 1931 learn English. Kind of. You know, it's actually it's funny. I it wasn't until just now watching you try to pronounce her last name that I thought it is kind of like a maybe I didn't appreciate up until now that. The three main characters are all not native to Berlin. Yeah. They've all, it's almost like people coming to New York seeking new opportunities. Right. And, and yeah, maybe Berlin is kind of at an interesting, well, definitely is at an interesting crossroads in 1931. <laughs> but sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, Sally's American, Brian's British, and Fritz is from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from um, Fritzland. Yeah. And so. Natalie and Fritz are not necessarily well-known actors in North American audiences, but Fritz is actually played by Fritz Wepper, uh, who stars in, who's been starring in a German sitcom since 2002, actually, called Um Himmel's Willen, which is For Heaven's Sake, which apparently is a very and it's popular been, German sitcom. And it's been going on for, what, 21 yeah. years? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And he's been a series regular since... Our last character that I want to quickly mention is Baron Maximilian von Haun, mm. the very wealthy socialite that- He's a baron. Yes. Yeah. That, that Sally and Brian meet and have a very interesting experience with throughout the film. And I don't want to go into too much more details than that for spoiler reasons. Our director is Brian Foss, a very prominent director and choreographer of musical works both on stage and on the screen. So he did the- stage musicals the pajama game damn yankees how to succeed in business without really trying sweet charity pippin and chicago kind of an important the first few musicals you just mentioned all sounded made up yeah but (laughs) chicago yeah i've heard of chicago he also did a few other films uh that were very relevant and famous called lenny and all that jazz all that jazz was actually a semi-autobiographical film based on his life oh really I uh, hope someday there's a musical based on my life. Yeah. I hope you star in it. Cool. <laughs> Foss is known for having like a very specific type of choreography, uh, which is the turned in knees and jazz hands in his films. So that if you've seen those, he's credited as kind of being the guy. The jazz hands guy. Yeah. Huh. He actually won a Tony, an Emmy, and an Oscar all in the same year when he won his Oscar for uh, Best Director on this one. So in 1972, 1972 was a good year for him. Well, 73, yes. Right. All those awards. But uh, yeah, the only person to ever do that. So who is this movie for? Obviously, we've said this is a very queer-friendly film. Yeah, um, yeah. It's actually, it's kind of startling how 
modern it feels in that respect i mean yeah i yeah. I, I see what you mean i agree with that like that aspect of the film is modern even though maybe well, some of the other actually i might walk that back a little bit uh-huh because there is something that happens later in the movie that was definitely more shocking 30 years ago well okay so here's the thing is i would say it it feels more modern in the sense that it's not painting these people as black or white good or bad it's it's kind of portraying something that is complicated in a complicated light like if they're yeah like, okay it's it's not it's not hollywoodifying any it, it's hollywoodifying things but it's not completely hollywoodifying their relationships and who these people are yeah this movie is darker than it seems on first glance too yeah oh absolutely there's stuff that happened there's stuff going on that especially i mean geez especially nowadays with stuff maybe going on in the world well but... that's actually kind of interesting as well is because it's painting like the queer community against the backdrop of the rise of fascism in this, Nazi germany the alt-right yeah, yeah exactly so there's kind of an interesting year to some events going on in real life uh so i think that there's it's, it's kind of somewhat a little timeless in that regard yeah it's like kind of the clash between like free-spirited liberation and like oppression right maybe i hope i'm i'm trying to be tasteful i hope i'm not saying anything stupid no but i don't think so i don't think so i don't want to sound i don't want to sound hufflepuff right now i think also People who really like weighty musicals are gonna like this one. Um, like this is a very heavy in themes and plot kind of musical, and like we've kind of talked about that the music is what did you use the word didactic? Uh, didactic. No, not didactic. Um, diegetic. Diegetic. So that means it takes place within the world. Right. Yes. So it's it's not your typical musical in that sense, and in that regard, it's kind of nice alternative. Like when you're if you're kind of you know, going through a list of musicals to watch. It's almost barely a musical. Yeah. You can almost trick someone into watching this movie without telling them it's a musical. I also think that this movie pairs well with something like The Sound of Music because it's almost like a more adult look at the 30s in, in Germany um, and how the Nazi party came to power and, and kind of the oppression that that brought. One thing I really admired about this movie is that it takes place in... Okay, it takes place in 1931. Hmm. And again, I'm not a huge student of history but what's interesting is that at the beginning of the movie the nazis are definitely kicking around but they're more treated as like a public nuisance yes and that's kind of interesting there's a great scene early on where there's a a nazi invades the kit kat club hmm. and this is the opening scene yeah the owner just chucks him out he's like yeah, yeah get out of here Right. You pesky Nazi. Yeah. So... And over the course of the movie, that drastically changes. Yeah. So I, th I think those are kind of the main who this movie is for. Does this movie hold up? This is the other kind of part that we talk about during this part of the film. And where I want to lead off with that discussion is that I find this movie has very slow pacing. It's funny how The Godfather was an hour longer. Yes. But it felt a lot faster. Yes. This movie... There were parts where I was like, okay, is the movie over yet? Or yeah. like, are we getting there? Like, yes. So, and I think that's partly the format is like every five minutes or five or 10 minutes, there's these musical breaks. Right. And it's hard not to feel like they're intermissions. 
Like it's it's the format is neat at first, but it does kind of wear thin as the movie goes on. Yeah, I would agree with you. So I I don't know if this movie holds up to a modern watch. Like it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't hold up as well as The Godfather. That's for sure. Yes, and that's where the contrast of where we're coming into this film with is, and and what we're what we're our objective was as well is comparing two very relevant movies in the Oscar year that they won their awards in, and. You're right. Like the Godfather, just the pacing and the structure of the film just holds up so much better because, in part, because this is a film that calls back to a previous moment in Hollywood, um, and a previous moment on Broadway. Whereas the Godfather is the precursor to all of modern cinema. The Godfather also just felt like I mentioned when we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It felt like mythic and timeless, right? Whereas this movie maybe does it and i think part of the problem is like you're not a big musical fan are you i actually don't mind a good musical every once in a while yeah i don't mind a good musical either but when was the last time you watched a musical uh jess and i over the summer watched hamilton okay yeah okay that's fair enough i watch probably one to two musicals a year and then i like to go to musicals or like live stage productions once every couple of years as well oh really kind of what's playing yeah okay i've seen some i've seen some really cool cool stuff live huh Um, okay well you kind of ruined the point i was trying to make but (laughs) (laughs) i guess for someone like me like i don't really i mean i don't really i feel like i don't really watch musicals and i think it's definitely a genre that is a little underexposed right now yeah yeah i would agree so i mean i mean really my the only really musicals I could probably name are like the Disney Renaissance musicals. Mm-hmm. So the format is a little interesting. Well, even and we, though we already talked about how like this one is kind of unique, even within that, that format and that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's a, it's somewhat of a hard movie to talk about because it's, it's not perfect by any means. It's not a perfect no. movie and it hasn't held up perfectly over time. Which it is has... very interesting. It has not aged as gracefully as a movie that came out the same year. Yeah, exactly. When to watch. This film is really weighty in its themes. Yeah. And you have to be kind of fully invested while watching this. Or maybe you don't because it moves at such a slow pace. I, I could I could be I could be talked into either one if you have an opinion one way or another. Uh you know, I watched it today. Yeah. Like in the afternoon. Yeah. I think I might have enjoyed it more in the evening. If that makes sense. I so my my when to watch recommendation was actually Sunday evening is, okay. is where I would watch this. I, I it's not a blockbuster movie by any means. So it doesn't go on like your Friday night, your big Saturday night kind of movie main focus kind of thing. It's like a Sunday evening, you know, you're kinda of winding down, ready to go to work the next day kind of thing. You know what? Actually, I'm just thinking about this now. I think I might have enjoyed watching this movie more in theaters. Cause I think those big musical numbers would have popped a lot more. Yeah, and you know what? There's something to be said as well about seeing it with more people. Like it might have, yeah, the the vibe of the room might have kind of moved things along a little bit better as well. Yeah, and like there are two really specific musical moments that do slap pretty hard. Yeah, and I, I think will agree. I think you know the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, there's feel- a couple that uh, I want to talk about later when we get into sound and talk about our favorite ones for okay. sure. Um, so I guess we, I didn't really give you an answer, but we kind of talked around it for a while. So yeah. watch it whenever you feel like it. I, I do like your Sunday best. evening. I like Sunday evening. Okay. But this one isn't for everyone. Not every, I don't, I wouldn't recommend this one to everyone. I wouldn't, yeah. I don't know if I recommend this to most people. Yeah. I don't 
I don't know that I I don't know that I would recommend this to myself, but <laughs> but anyway, so where to watch? So this one is on Hollywood Suite, which you can either get your own subscription for or through Prime. I never heard of this one before yeah. this episode. First time hearing of it. But uh looks like a good streaming platform if you're looking for like previous Oscar winner films of previous decades. Like it really looks like it focuses on pre two thousands kind of films, which like, is kinda kind of like our base. Kinda of like what we do. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's it's kind of a neat little streaming platform. Fun. With that, we're kind of done our first part of this episode. So yeah, I hope at this point, you've either been intrigued and, and want to check this out, this musical out. And if you do, come back and listen to us as we talk next week uh, about our deep dive of this film. Yeah, it'll be divine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Before we want to wrap up, too, I was thinking, do you want to talk this year's Oscars at all whatsoever? I mean... Is there any films in this year's Oscars that you want to discuss? Because this is your this is your one this and is only my one opportunity chance. to do it. Oh, yes. man. I mean, to be honest, I never really pay that much attention to the Oscar season. Mm-hmm. You were listing, you listed off all the movies that have been nominated this year, and I haven't heard of some of them. Right. So, I mean, I guess maybe all I'll say while I have the opportunity to say it is that, you know, I hope everything, everywhere, all at once kicks everyone's ass. I very much agree. Michelle Yeoh deserves it. Yep. The director deserves it. Ehi Kwan deserves it. Yeah, that guy. So... Every every aspect of that film I absolutely loved. I from the get go, like I I saw the trailer like I don't know two years ago almost now, and I was like, this is a movie for me, and I'm I'm just so happy that it went on to be as successful as it did, and I hope that uh... yeah, like if we're talking about cinematic moments in 2022, probably that and Batman are the only two movies I saw. In th- no, that Batman and the Menu were the only movies I saw in theaters that i really really enjoyed yeah yeah i'm glad you liked the menu we didn't we haven't talked about that at all on the podcast and it's not nominated for any awards but i'm a huge fan of the menu i enjoyed it um maybe not as much as you did but it's funny um i was on a date and uh we were supposed to go see the new black panther but we kind of just decided that neither of us really cared enough to go see it <laughs> so she pulled out her phone and just picked the menu at random all we knew about it was a thriller and yeah we had a really good time. Yeah, it's that one's kind of run up my alley kind of movie. The I guess the only other film that we could maybe quickly discuss is Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that one too. Yeah, so that one's also kind of one that's interesting. This Oscars race, it feels like you know it's a it's a top contender in a few different races. You and I watched it together actually on uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah, on New Year's Eve, and we had very different responses to the film. Uh, yeah. I think you were much higher on the film than I was. I think I was, yeah. For me, like I think I really loved aspects of the film. I I loved the cinematography and just everything about Ireland and and seeing this little Irish town and island at at this period in time during the uh Civil War. But for me personally, I I think the problem that I had with the film is actually less to do with the film and a little bit more to do with me because I walked in this film thinking that this was going to be a comedy about two Irish men who decide that they can't be friends anymore or one of them decides he can't be friends with the other anymore and it's yeah. how the other guy kind of responds to that because you know I'm, I'm getting older and I've, I've seen that I've seen that in my own personal life I've seen somebody very close friends decide you know what? I don't want to be friends with you anymore and just walk away. And and it's a very interesting 
thing to happen to somebody it's heartbreaking i think i've you know you and i have both been in situations with friends where you kind of have to it's almost like you're quiet quitting a friendship you're yeah. just like eh, like so like i still love you but this isn't working and and sometimes it's not quiet quitting in this case it's very much not about Ooh, quiet quitting loud and, quitting yeah. yeah and and that doesn't happen very often when it does it's it's very it's such an experience that's hard to describe for anyone who's never been through it but it's not a pleasant experience by any means. It feels like somebody's died, and and it, it's it's something that's really hard to conceptualize and grasp. Yeah, I mean, with breakups, it's like yeah, everybody's been dumped. Like we all know how it feels, right? So, and if you don't, like brace yourself because it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's really. I will say though, the movie it did still kind of strike me as a comedy. Like yeah. it was funny. Yeah, it was a it was a comedy, but it's more. It was a film that was more like a fairy tale about the Irish Civil War than it was about two men deciding that they didn't want to be friends anymore. Kind of. It's a very... I think one of the things I liked about it so much is that it is so hard to describe. Yeah. You know, and I, it is so... There is something really enigmatic. Like, you know, you're describing it as a fairy tale about the Irish Civil War. I don't even really know how I would describe it. Because, like, <laughs> I think I was telling my mom about it and I was like, so it's these two guys who decide they don't want to be friends anymore. And she was like, oh, and that's the whole movie? And it's like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> like, Kind of. Kind of. Like, it's, it's a very, yeah, it is a very hard movie to talk about. And it also kind of has somewhat of a little bit of an ambiguous ending. and Extremely I've ambiguous ending. I've talked about this on our podcast before, whereas I'm I'm really down on ambiguous endings. That's right. I did forget that about you. Yeah. Whereas you're, you tend to like ambiguous endings much more than I do. Well, we've talked about this before about how like I like to me, the sign of a good movie is how long it lingers with you. Right. And there's something about, yeah, I don't know, like the ending of that movie in particular was kind of, I don't want to say unsettling, but it was a little unsettling. Right. And I kind of like I appreciated that. Hmm. Anyway. We, should, we should do a maybe we should do a full episode on it at some point. I know that's not really our vibe, but yeah, maybe, uh, I'm I'm less high on it. So I don't okay. know if we could. I don't know. I'll have to start my it. own podcast <laughs> just to talk about it. Yeah, you or Jason, maybe. If Jason's uh, likes that ep- movie as much as I, you do, then you two are welcome to run an episode on that one. Right. Call it uh, Jekyll's Corner, or just call it "Are You Rowing?" Question <laughs> mark. But anyway, I think that's it for our episode. We should probably wrap her up. And uh, that was almost half an episode on Banshees. Yeah. So. Tough shit. It made it into the podcast. Yep. Uh, so we will see you next week for a deep dive on Cabaret. Everything was going really well until he cut all his fingers off. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>